Hello everyone and welcome to this episode. We did start it off by clarifying the whole Ponzi scheme scenario, um, whether or not Bitcoin is a Ponzi scheme that we introduced in our previous episode. We clarified that in this one, thanks to everyone who reached out to us and asked for the clarification. We hope that this, uh, the, you know, the beginning of this episode does uh, all clear it up for you. If it doesn't, feel free to reach out to us. The rest of the episode we dedicated to talk about the influence of Elon Musk on the market, how that is, uh, or just the impacts of that with respect to the price of Bitcoin, and the way that media portrays Bitcoin mining and just things about Bitcoin in general, as, as well as other cryptocurrencies. And lastly, we shared some stories about how Bitcoin has helped people in certain countries or certain situations. And that's something you never hear people talk about uh, when they say bad things about Bitcoin out of a lack of knowing or knowledge. So anyway, we had a really good time bringing up some topics in this episode that we may not have brought up earlier. And um, you will enjoy it. Let's hope you enjoy it. If you have any questions, again, you know where to find us. Our email address is ready at gofullcrypto.com. We love hearing from you. Thanks for reaching out to us. And uh, let's start the episode. The thoughts and opinions expressed by Keegan Francis, Murgakshi Palway, and the guests interviewed on the Go Full Crypto podcast are solely their own. The content discussed are intended to be for informational purposes only. All right. So parts of that last episode that we recorded, thank you for all of those that uh, reached out to us and asked us to clarify that. So we're going to start off by clarifying the whole like Ponzi scheme scenario with respect to Bitcoin. Okay. So... One of the key factors in any Ponzi scheme is that earlier investors are paid out by later investors. But like that distinguishing factor of a Ponzi scheme doesn't really exist in Bitcoin because just by us having had bought Bitcoin before somebody else, the amount of Bitcoin that we bought stays the same. It doesn't increase or decrease. And whatever Bitcoin we do have, um, based on the price at which Bitcoin is being traded at, we can incur a loss if the market decides, hey, Bitcoin's not worth so much right now. Right. It's not a thing that goes up forever necessarily. Yeah, necessarily. So if you were someone who bought Bitcoin in 2017, uh, when one Bitcoin was at 20,000 US you know, you incurred a pretty, pretty sufficient loss the very next day, like the, the day that it crashed the very next day. And throughout the next two years, actually, it went down to, uh, I think it was something like 5,000 US dollars. Yeah, it was hovering between five and eight or 10. Point being that if you held on long enough, then the market again decided that Bitcoin is worth more than that. So, And if it was a pyramid scheme or Ponzi scheme, then that would be considered a collapse, right? Of the entire scheme. Yeah, all pyramid schemes and, and Ponzi schemes in history have collapsed thus far. And uh, Bitcoin would be no exception if it was one. However, it the price of it collapsed and now it's back to what, what the, basically two and a half, three times where it was in December 2017, like uh, the, the number that you cited. So we would see a collapse and we'd see the death of Bitcoin if it actually were a Ponzi scheme because, well, Ponzi schemes are not sustainable. The structure of them is not built to last. They cannot grow forever. And that's not how, how Bitcoin works. So I, I like 
one of the things that you said about Bitcoin, Murga, is like when you buy Bitcoin, you have that amount. It doesn't go up. It doesn't go down in terms of the amount of Bitcoin you own. And that's because Bitcoin uh, is a bearer instrument. You actually own the thing that is valuable when you're buying it. It's like if you went to the, the store and bought a brick of gold, you've now got a brick of gold and it actually can perform other functions for you. So you're receiving something in return for the purchase of Bitcoin. And that is the Bitcoin, which then can be used to take out a loan or can be used as money to go and spend somewhere. Uh, you can pay employees, you can save it for a rainy day. It performs all of those functions for you, where usually with, with the Ponzi scheme, what you're getting in return, uh, well, the ones that I've seen, you're getting a weird box of wine, you're getting makeup, you're getting uh, health supplements, you're, you're getting this, and the, the value of those things are inflated by wherever that um, wherever that scheme is in its in its life cycle, the, the yeah. late stages, you'll see the prices of those things go up because the the people that have bought into the Ponzi schemes are trying to justify the cost of of getting this this uh, that this thing. initial investment. That's right. Yeah. yeah, and a lot of that also works on. Um, oh no! Wait, now I'm talking about multi-level marketing schemes that are not to be confused by Ponzi schemes. No, but like one yeah. of the things about Ponzi schemes is also I find that um, there is a, a promise made of some sort that okay, get into this now because later you will make more money off of it, especially the more people that you invite. Which again starts is seeming to sound a little bit more like a multi-marketing level scheme too. But the point is, with respect to Bitcoin, um, yes, there are some people out there who will say buy Bitcoin now, it's going to be worth more later. That is not to be confused with um, like buy Bitcoin right now and you'll get much higher returns later. Like, or sorry, that is not to be confused with the schemes that you hear when someone is inviting you into a Ponzi scheme. Because like we said in the very beginning, the amount of Bitcoin that you have remains the same. That amount of Bitcoin doesn't increase or decrease. But with respect to a Ponzi scheme, the investor gets paid out. Uh, the investors that went in early get paid out from, by the investors that came in later. And that in itself is not sustainable with Bitcoin. That's not what that's not what is happening. Right. If we buy Bitcoin before somebody else, it's not like we're getting paid more Bitcoin because somebody else got in. Everybody has the amount of Bitcoin that they do purchase. And the thing that is really quite distinguishing with, between Bitcoin and Ponzi schemes is that the price of Bitcoin in terms of any other government currency is traded on a free market. Right. Which is not the case. Right. The price is set by the Ponzi free market, schemes. whereas with the Ponzi scheme, um, well, it's a company that you're essentially buying into. Right. So when you buy into a Ponzi scheme, that money goes to a centralized location that's not controlled by a market. It's just, yeah, you're giving this money to a company and they might send you that box of wine or this educational package, which then you're responsible for going and spreading elsewhere. Um, but we're not responsible for, for spreading Bitcoin information. We kind of just choose to do this because... Well, this is what we love to do. Uh, now, you mentioned, Ruga, that the price is set by the free market. And what else is set by the free market? Well, the price of gold, the price of oil, the price of uh, any stock. Any stock, yeah. Any stock that is traded on the public market is... Like the price of that is decided based on the speculation, if that's the word that you want to <laughs> use, of what traders around the world believe that the, the price, like that company is worth. So, uh, the, the devil's advocate argument to that is that these companies are produce producing something, something of, of value. Quote, value. Yeah. I know. So here's another distinction, something that I really um, 
I would like to encourage is when the price of Bitcoin increases with respect to a fiat currency or a fiat, the value of Bitcoin isn't increasing. The value of Bitcoin stays the same. The price of Bitcoin increases with respect to that fiat. So a lot of the time on media, I hear people saying, oh, the value of Bitcoin fluctuates. The value of Bitcoin has gone up. The value of Bitcoin fell today by 20%. But that's not true. You're using the wrong term to, uh, to communicate what has actually happened, which is the price of Bitcoin traded at whatever like has fallen by 20% or has increased by 20%. Due to market forces, due to supply and demand and market sentiment, right? This is a really good example of what we saw <laughs> yesterday. Uh, we're recording this on, uh, what is today? May 13th. And so on May 12th, Tesla announced that they're going to stop uh, accepting Bitcoin as payment for Tesla cars. And as a result, the market freaked out and sold and there's a sell-off of about 10%. So Bitcoin fell from uh, 50,000, sorry, 55,000 down to 46,000. I suppose that's 15%, not, not 10. But it quickly recovered and it's hovering now around 50. But that was an example of- wouldn't, Some people wouldn't call that a recovery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> in terms of like the historical- precedent set by Bitcoin, it's definitely a recovery. Like Bitcoin in the past would take 30, 35, 40, sometimes higher dips than that, take a lot longer to climb that ladder back up. And uh, yeah, we'd be in a terrible situation with that, with respect to uh, living with uh, all of our money in Bitcoin, uh, because well, we would suffer at a loss, like a 30 or 35% loss for months at a time rather than a 15% loss and then a 5% recovery. I'm just rambling now. Yeah, you are. Okay. <laughs> let's let's get back on track here. Yeah. We'll finish the, we'll finish the, the, the Ponzi, Ponzi scheme. scheme clarification. Yeah. yeah, so, well, Bitcoin is not a Ponzi scheme. And if you think that it is, then don't buy Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, that's simple. Yeah, yeah. just, and, you know, one more criticism that I've heard from, you know, some people is, Oh, all Bitcoiners just want you to buy Bitcoin because they shell Bitcoin and like that's all they that's what they want you to do. Hence it is a Ponzi scheme. Um That doesn't make it a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> it doesn't make it a Ponzi scheme. And sure, in the past, Key and you and I both would have, you know, encouraged our friends to look into Bitcoin and and buy it if they want to. But at least I have a very different stance now. I'm not gonna go around telling people to buy Bitcoin because it's something that they have it's a decision that someone has to make on their own. Yeah, it really is. Uh, it doesn't really work to like go into a crowd and shill it. Like you need people to willingly come to you asking questions with genuine curiosity about how it might improve their lives and then you need to be open to the answers that you receive yeah anyway so bitcoin in conclusion is not a ponzi scheme not according to us not according to a majority of people it is according to some people not according to the technical definition of a ponzi scheme yeah, there is no yes, pyramid that there we go yeah well pyramid and ponzi is different though sure but yes it is not uh, it doesn't fit the definition of a Ponzi scheme based on historic trends of what Ponzi schemes have. Anyway, let's start talking about um, what is happening with the market right now. So the you know the majority of this particular episode, we do want to talk about um, what Elon, how much influence Elon Musk has on. Bitcoin for one and for two, the on markets in general. Yeah, and he's got a scary amount of influence. Yeah, well, whatever, man. Um, but also like the whole environmental debate that okay, anyway, that's what we're gonna talk about. So 
I find that earlier today someone sent me a message saying that uh, um, I heard Bill Maher or Maher. I'm not sure how to pronounce Bill Maher. Uh, uh, not okay. Uh, poop on Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> we just don't have those beep machines. So even if I did use a swear word, I I just wouldn't want to tell our audio producer, uh, audio engineer, Kaushik to just like beep it out. I, I, I actually do not like beeps in anything. No, I don't either. I like it an unfiltered podcast. Yeah. And I don't even know why there is a precedent set to beep things out. Anyway. It's a fine word. It accurately describes what <laughs> Bill Mayer was doing to Bitcoin. Yeah, he was. Oh my gosh. You know, one thing that I really don't appreciate is that um, I guess like Bill Mayer was what he was doing was political satire or slash comedy, but that is going to be taken as news. But anyway, one thing that I really don't like is how much bias is spread in all of these shows that excuse me, quote unquote, talk about Bitcoin. And, you know, I guess, truth be told, what are we sitting here <laughs> what are we doing? doing here? Yeah, we're, we're totally biased. And we're sitting here telling you about Bitcoin and commentating, 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 com- commentating yeah. the news and the market. So, yeah, we are kind of in a similar position. But I mean, I do like to think, Ruger, that between the two of us, I mean, I, I know at least that when I'm on a rant, you'll call me out for like a weird thing that I'll say sometimes. You're like, hey, define that for me. Or, hey, what do you mean by that? Right. And the, when we were watching Bill Mayer earlier, there was no one to question him on the things that he was saying. And, and he was doing a lot of conflation. So we'll actually link the the, uh, the show. The yeah, exactly. So that you can go and take a look and decide for yourself, because at the end of the day, it is your decision. It is your decision. And you shouldn't trust us. You should validate the information that we're telling you, obviously, and uh, decide for yourself which side of the environmental debate, for example, that you're on with, with respect to uh, with respect to Bitcoin. But yeah, Bill Mayer, he was talking into the camera. He was displaying these, uh, well, they were kind of presented as facts. But I find that when the news or the media portrays facts, quote unquote facts about Bitcoin, they're leaving out much of the, the context. Like it's not a cut and dry thing. It's it's a beautifully simple system, but there are very complex nuances that kind of operate behind the scenes. Yeah. And uh, anyway, I, I just thought that that was the most biased um not most, but I think most news about Bitcoin is biased and also compares Bitcoin to every other cryptocurrency out there and talks about it as an investment. So I understand that some people like to look at Bitcoin as an investment class, but I've made it clear in one of the previous episodes that I don't look at Bitcoin as an investment. It is just a money. We're so used to thinking that um, or knowing or seeing that money is inflationary. Hence, you know, the purchasing power of money decreases over time, which is why Bitcoin seems like an investment because it the purchasing power of Bitcoin grows over time like investments um, do or investments increase in purchasing power or price over time. But Bitcoin is just a deflationary money or anti-inflationary money. So I don't really look at Bitcoin as an investment. So whenever someone compares Bitcoin to every other cryptocurrency and just categorizes it as one, I I don't know how to react to that because it's just not true. Well, well, we ask questions essentially is what we do. Like we were curious as to how they arrived at that conclusion because i mean in the past i've arrived at that conclusion i like this new way of thinking about bitcoin as okay this is money this is kind of in line with how michael saylor and microstrategy see bitcoin it's money for them yes it's increasing in value and it's not only preserving but growing the the purchasing power of their treasury but they really see it as money anytime they have us dollars which was today they bought another 217 
Bitcoin because, well, they don't want to hold the U.S. dollar. It doesn't do the thing they want it to do anymore, which yeah. is preserve purchasing power. Over time. So, okay, with respect to Elon Musk, I remember when the news broke out that I think for a little period of time, he changed his, or maybe for just a day, he changed his Twitter bio to hashtag Bitcoin. And everyone went ballistic and, and bought Bitcoin. I think it was around the time Bitcoin was at 50,000 US, Keegan. So No, okay. So it was just before it reached 50,000. Like that was the trigger that pushed it up over 50. Okay. It was Elon Musk doing that, well, I believe. Well, that's awesome then because now <laughs> the dust has settled and whoever was in Bitcoin because of Elon Musk has probably, or like a majority of them have left Bitcoin because of Elon Musk. And that's fantastic. I mean, don't hold Bitcoin if you don't believe in it. Don't hold Bitcoin if the only reason you're in it is because you want to make money in fiat. That's actually, not the point. Right. Yeah. There's something deeper at play here. There's actually a very like macroscopic thing to be achieved with, with buying and holding Bitcoin. Like I personally believe that it'll improve the quality of life on every, of every human on the planet uh, on a long enough time scale, it, regardless of if that human has bought Bitcoin or owns Bitcoin or not. Uh, I just I, I think that the system that is in place uh, is going to fundamentally change the the financial landscape of the world for the better. It, it takes away the controls that are essentially degrading the value of uh, of money, and and that's the thing I really like about it. So going back to what Elon Musk said about Bitcoin, so they've stopped accepting Bitcoin for buying Teslas, and or like you can't pay with Bitcoin to buy a Tesla anymore, and. Uh, that was mainly because of the environmental reasons <laughs> that he stated. What was it? I don't remember. I don't have the tweet up in front of well, me. Well, we should we should actually pull up the tweet. Why don't you pull up the tweet and I'll I'll add some commentary along the way. Um, so so yeah, the tweet was really funny because he did cite environmental concerns as the reason why they're not accepting payment for Bitcoin. But I like the perspective of okay, watch what people do, not what people say. And what they did was, well, they didn't sell Bitcoin, right? If they actually had conviction in their opinion that Bitcoin is bad for the environment, they would dispose of it at a profit. Like they could still get rid of the Bitcoin now at a profit. And why wouldn't they if, if Bitcoin is such a bad thing for the environment? Um, which is, yeah, you can bring it up now and read it. Yeah, I'm just also looking at his other tweets. Uh, there we go. Okay, so the... The screenshot that he posted, and it was titled Tesla and Bitcoin, was Tesla suspended vehicle purchases using Bitcoin. We're concerned about rapidly increasing use of fossil fuels for Bitcoin mining and transactions, especially coal, which has the worst emissions of any fuel. Okay, stop right there for just a second. I want to know where this information came from, that there's an increasing use of fossil fuels for Bitcoin mining. Where is that stat from? Um, and it looks like he's actually put it so he replied <laughs> to his own tweet and he's like energy uses tre usage trend over past few months is insane cbeci.org and if you click into that there's the bitcoin energy consumption annualized chart but it doesn't really say how much of this is coal and how much of it isn't right i think that's the main point of debate in this conversation yeah, I for, think for most people for like for sensible people, in my opinion, that is where the debate happens. The if you can't get past that Bitcoin is valuable, just it has value it's, in general. Like that's the kind of argument that Bill Mayer was was making. Is like this is just funny money. It's imaginary. You can't just create money out of thin air, which is ironic because that's literally how the U.S. dollar is created. But if you can't get past the uh, 
the initial supposition that Bitcoin provides some utility or value for the people using the network, then we can't really get into a proper debate about the energy. Debate. I actually don't even think it's that, Keg. I, I think it's more so to do with um, the fact that energy is core related to um, the use of non-renewable um, energy. So like, cool, Bitcoin's energy consumption is large. When I say this, are you thinking, okay, cool, that's, that's, that's great. That I mean, sure, like it uses a lot of energy. That's good, right? Because you need that much energy to protect um, all of the transactions that are taking place on the Bitcoin network. No, an average person who doesn't know how any, like a lot about Bitcoin is not going to have that reaction when they hear Bitcoin's energy consumption is huge. An average person is going to think, oh, it's huge. That's bad, right? Therefore, like, it's bad. It's more big, energy, it's bad. more energy is bad because more energy just ultimately means that you're using non-renewable resources of energy. Or like, I think just more energy is bad, and I, I think that's where most people just stop their their thinking train and think, oh, cool, okay, Bitcoin is bad. Period. But then there are again more people that go more into detail and say, okay, um, Bitcoin uses um, coal as their main resource of energy according to this study and that study and this study and in nature magazine they said that bitcoin alone is going to be uh, responsible to push um the the temperature of the earth like two degrees higher than it is and push us into global warming by yeah, 2024. i want to say something about that that's yeah. actually a lovely statistic because okay if that's true then we can then suddenly compare the amount of bitcoin amount of energy that bitcoin uses to uh okay so for example, that the Bitcoin network uses as much energy as America uses every year for lighting their Christmas trees and their houses. So if Bitcoin will push global warming... Not so their houses. I don't, I don't think that was a correct stat. Wait, wait what is it? We I, read it earlier today. Yeah, yeah, but that's not that's not right. It's Christmas lights. Uh, no, well, no, the comparison was that the number of the amount of energy consumed by lighting Christmas lights in the Christmas time is more than some other countries that are smaller than the United States. Yeah, so, they compared it directly to Bitcoin too, though. Mm -mm, I don't think so. Oh. Pretty sure. I don't remember seeing Bitcoin in it. Oh, it okay. was just the argument that, oh, like you can't just compare um, Bitcoin to Bitcoin's energy consumption to smaller um, countries because there's a lot of things that you can compare to the consumption of smaller companies. For example, I just pulled it up. It, it was from a letter by Pomp. And yeah, so Anthony to, to put in comparison, the amount of energy used every year by Americans to run their Christmas lights is also greater than the total energy consumption of sm some small countries. Oh, gotcha. Okay. It, wasn't, it wasn't with respect to Bitcoin. Yeah, you're right. Cool. So then the point I was going to make is moot and it's <laughs> not worth making anymore. <laughs> All right. Well, if it, it sort no, of no, 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 but you you started talking about this uh, after I said the whole Nature magazine thing, which is okay. Wait, if you're saying that Bitcoin alone is going to be responsible for that, then okay, you're always comparing the amount of energy Bitcoin consumes to smaller countries, but you're not comparing it to the amount of energy that it consumes with larger industries or larger countries. So, like. Is take the, the, take the, to U.S. for example, like U.S. Yeah. probably yes, definitely consumes more energy than Bitcoin does because if it didn't, then we would see that statistic in news all the time. You you haven't read Bitcoin consumes more energy than the United States of America yet because it doesn't. And if that isn't the case, then isn't the the amount of energy that you, the United States alone consumes going to push us into global warming? Now that again is a stupid argument. I agree because like what am I comparing now? What 
what like households need to use in order to survive as well as industries that make jobs um, that produce jobs and give people the way to earn money all of that is now redundant because we're going to uh, die of global warming I think like all of these arguments are just so false because it's not as mechanic as that it's not like a line of code where you say if this then that it has so much more context because there's so much more detail into the there's utility nuance. into the utility of um, consuming that much energy. So I, I think this this kind of highlights one of the points that we were talking about earlier today, Murga, which is that nuance has left the conversation. Um, there's basically just two sides of every of every debate, and there's nothing in between. It's just thin air in between. Another way to say that is that there's there's too much extremes and not enough objectivism. The not enough talking about the various interplay and the externalities and the facts of the situation. And it's just quite frankly hard to trust any facts these days. Like we were talking just now about this stat about Bitcoin. 75% of the Bitcoin network is run off of green energy. Okay, where's that stat come from? How can I trust it? And then you get another stat that literally just flips Says it. Says the opposite, yeah, I know. 75% is run by coals. Okay, which one is it? I know. So I, because of that, I had uh, a stance on where uh, Bitcoin's energy consumption lies with respect to where it pulls its energy from. But I don't know anymore. I believe previously that it was more so from uh, renewable resources. But I've just read so many opposing pieces on, on, on like... On the Economist and the Financial Times and the New York Times and reputable names that now I just don't even believe in anymore because I don't know where journalism is. I I just I don't know where journalism I, is. Either. I just I don't think that um, I can't trust two journalists who say the opposite things into reputable resources or sources of in, in news because it seems more like opinion than news at this point. I, I did speak with someone in the mining industry last week. His name was Harry Sudak. And I mean, I have to, at the end of the day, if I can't trust two seemingly uh, reputable journalists who both quote seemingly reputable sources, then I need to actually start talking to the people with their boots on the ground and to, to try to figure out, okay, you're a business whose core objective is to mine Bitcoin in pursuit of profit. How do you do that? And why do you do it the way you do? And he explained to me, well, uh, we need to have our electricity costs as cheap as possible. We do that by finding stranded energy, which are often in uh, in green energy projects that uh, that it's difficult to take and transport that energy to a city center. And they make use of that green energy. It's also in places where they are burning an excess of fossil fuel through the day to meet peak demand. And uh, and so yeah, you've got both sides of the equation here. You've got it being profitable to mine Bitcoin using coal and you've got it being profitable to mine Bitcoin using solar and which one is winning out. And they have made the business decision to build their infrastructure on renewables because they see that as the longer term strategy, longer term, more sustainable strategy for their business. And it's like, okay, if that's how the game theory works out and if that's how these companies are thinking about this this. Uh, the situation, then I'm actually more inclined to believe the journalist who cited the reputable source about how Bitcoin is based on green energy. That's where I'm more inclined to lean, partially because of my bias, partially because I actually went and spoke to the people in the mining industry. Yeah, I guess I won't really be able to believe it until I go and see it. And right. um, 
the the maybe it's 50 50 right now maybe 50 percent of bitcoin mining takes place on using renewable resources and 50 percent takes place using non-renewable resources i don't know i can't know anymore because everything i read is the opposite of the next article that i read so i actually don't know what to trust and um that's that's where i stand right now okay and i can't verify like i don't i don't really want to trust or unless i can find someone like glenn greenwald who um, or someone that Glenn, Glenn Greenwald recommends and trusts, I, I think I can like, you know, part, not part, I was, gonna, I was just thinking partage, just share, share my trust with, um, with uh, like journalists that I already trust. But right now I don't know anyone who I can, whose word I can take when they say that X percentage of the Bitcoin network is using X amount of renewable resources to mine Bitcoin. So yeah, at this point, it really is people will believe what they want to believe. Yeah. I, I, sure, I actually don't know what to believe or where I stand right now. And I'm okay being there because I don't want to be someone who has such a closed mind and such a stubborn time with her um, opinions that she doesn't want to change them. So I don't that's think that's where you. I stand. That isn't me. No, I love changing my uh, opinions from time to time as new information comes to light. Which... It will. More information is always coming to light as yeah. we progress through this mountain of uh, of information that is the internet. Yeah. And well, so the last thing that I want to really bring up in this episode is um, the stories about people that have been helped by Bitcoin that is never seen on mainstream media. <laughs> right. So you always hear people talking about um, why Bitcoin is bad and how Bitcoin is a joke, mostly because they don't understand it. But they never talk about stories of people in uh, Venezuela where they are using Bitcoin as currency because it's less volatile than their own country's currency. Keegan, what was that stat you mentioned earlier? Yeah, so uh, I believe it was in the year 2019. That was the stat that I was quoting. Uh, but in, during that year, the Venezuelan Bolivar inflated by 3.25% every single day. And that ended up with a total amount of inflation over the year of 1.7 million percent. So that's what compounding does. Uh, and that's scary. So literally, if you if you had some amount of some amount of money one day and you use that to pay bills the next day, it would be not as effective as paying those same bills. Um, so this guy, he converted all his money into Bitcoin. He started sharing it with his friends and selling it on a daily basis to go out and basically do his uh, his his grocery run, which he said was uh, a difficult challenge all in and of itself. Uh, but this is a direct quote from him. He says, I keep all my money in Bitcoin. Keeping it in boulevards would be financial suicide, which is exactly right. And one of the reasons why Venezuela is in such a difficult position that they're in is because of sanctions. Uh, and the sanctions that they're in is really harming the country in general. And that's just simply because the United States doesn't like the uh, the politics and the political regime. That Tell me again, city. actually, what does that... Sorry, I interrupted no, you. No, you're good. Yep. But sanctions, I've heard this word multiple times in the past week specifically. And it's just a fancy word for restriction. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So a restriction on something. So that's kind of yeah, like... Typically trade. Okay. Restrictions on trade. Yeah. So I've heard like sanctions uh, being done on countries before when one country doesn't want the other country to succeed in some other way but then one country has more power than the other country so they like trade sanctions where you're not allowed to sell something to 
That or you're not allowed to buy something. Yeah, no yeah. selling, no buying. But it's so always let me break to do this with down trade. A little yeah, bit. yeah it's, it's sanctions are always to do with trade. And one of the things that is really important to understand about the world in general that's never talked about is the U.S. dollar is a petrodollar, which means it's essentially backed by oil. Um, the way that that works is Saudi Arabia, the largest owner of oil reserves in the world, you can only if you want to buy oil from Saudi Arabia, you can only buy that oil from them with US dollars. That means that you have to buy US dollars to then go sell those US dollars for oil or you'll have to use those US dollars to buy oil with. Now, if you're a country and you want to be economically viable at all, then you need oil. You need the ability to uh, well, to sell, uh, to buy oil so that you can fuel trucks and planes and trains and automobiles and your citizens. You need to be able to heat homes and power your buildings, etc. So if you all of a sudden get a sanction placed on you that says that you can't have US dollars, you also can't have oil. And that just rips the country out from the inside out and it makes them... If they don't have the infrastructure to migrate to something else. Yeah, it puts them on an economic island, actually, is what it does. It says that you're not connected to economically to these other countries and you have to fend for yourself. Now, if you're on an island with a bunch of lumber but no food, then you need to trade your lumber for food. But if suddenly you can't trade your lumber for food because some other country says so, well, you're going to starve to death. And that's exactly what we saw play out in Venezuela and, uh, and other countries that are under economic sanctions. People starve. Real people. And so Venezuela is getting around that because the internet has no borders and Bitcoin has no borders. It has no political leaning whatsoever. It's completely unbiased. And so these Venezuelans, the people on the ground, are buying Bitcoin because it's a better store of value than the money that the uh, the country, uh, which is to like basically no fault of their own, other than you know political corruption, um, is degrading. And that's that's a really sad story. I want to read another small short yeah, paragraph from that. That's great, by the way, Keegan. Um, your frustration really came through <laughs> in that. Little... I'm ridiculously frustrated yeah. with, with money. You should talk about that episode. You heard that, and so our. Yeah, we basically need to do a whole episode on the petrodollar and just the breakdown of how it came to be that the, the US dollar and oil is is tied together, so knitted closely together. It will we'll, we'll touch on like how that goes into nice conspiracy theories as well, but it's actually rooted in, in oh. historical facts. Oh, what so was the Bitcoin Audible you listened to though? Yeah, it was by Alex Gladstein and it's a Bitcoin Audible episode and we'll link it in the show notes. And it's, Bitcoin Audible, by the way, is another podcast and uh, this the narrator, Guy Swan, the host, he reads blog, blog articles and um, I think that's like basically it's, it. It's very worth understanding the, the petrodollar because if we are comparing the energy efficiency of currencies and critiquing them on the merits of their energy efficiency, the US dollar is by far the least efficient uh, and the most harmful to the environment simply because it's backed by um, oil, you know, black gold. Oil is known as black gold? It's known as black gold. I didn't know that. Yeah, well, it's known as black gold because the whole entire world's uh, currency, the US dollar, is basically backed by oil. That's why it's called the petrodollar. And so black gold kind of hints at that narrative that uh, we used to be on a gold-backed system. Well, now we're on a black gold system, oil. Right. Yeah, petrodollar. 
a, a short paragraph over here from the article that Keegan was referencing about the Venezuelan individual. It also says, he explained that he does not have a bank account abroad and, and then this is in quotes, with Venezuela's currency controls, there's no easy way for me to use a conventional foreign currency like American dollars. That's right. So it's, it's really not like um, the residents of Venezuela haven't tried using other other currencies, not cryptocurrencies, just currencies in general. But because of a, an unknown sanction that I'm currently not aware of, uh, it's like it says in this article, it's not very easy for them to use a conventional foreign currency like the American dollar. And if you can't use the world reserve currency, then I'm not sure if you can use any other currency because I'm not really sure if it would even be recognized by whatever is currently holding the economy up in Venezuela. So yeah, another way to think about that is if you can't use the world standard currency, then is it really a world standard currency? Uh, if that if that global currency is not actually serving every human on the planet or if it's it's if it's under the narrative that it's a world reserve currency but oh but not for that group of people over there then i i mean i don't i just don't buy the narrative that it's a world reserve currency i kind of think that money's a, a like a human right right the access to good money is a human right in my opinion Right on. Yeah. And so that's one example. And this is something you're never going to hear people say, because you know what, to be to be honest, this is also sort of uh, an extreme because Venezuela is going through hyperinflation, like a 3.2% inflation on a daily basis is unimaginable. Like, even if even just by saying 3.2, like, I can't fathom what that means for the people living in Venezuela using right. the boulevard. I have like, no really scale or uh, reference to understand what that means. Yeah, what is a what was it? One point two million annual inflation. You 1. said seven. Well, I don't. I just, like. I can't fathom it. I, so I can't for, conceptualize what for that reference, means. On any given year within a developed nation, whether that be um, the the continent of Europe or. Uh, United States or Canada, we target 2% every year. Sometimes we're over, sometimes we're under. But on a year-to-year -year basis, we go up 2% and that does compound. But Venezuela was in the situation where they're going up 3.5% every single day, which is crazy. It is crazy. So, okay. So this is another example. You're not going to hear this on the media when they talk about um, how bad Bitcoin is for whatever reasons. And they're not going to talk about the hundred or so, more than a hundred, I'm sure, other stories where Bitcoin has been people's saving grace because they've come under capital control, because they haven't been able to send money to their families because of sanctions or because not having, because they don't have access to a bank account or because they can't, um, they just, I don't know, I can't think of any more examples, but I'm sure there's more. Yeah. So the last example that we want to talk about is this, uh, this individual from Syria and his story is, is pretty unique and it's it's kind of a cool story. I mean, it's it's sad because this individual was living in Syria. And well, if you don't know this, uh, then it's worth looking it up. But Syria has been in a civil war for the last decade, at least. I can't exactly remember when it started. It's like something like 2010, 2011. But people's homes, their livelihood, their neighborhoods were destroyed. And that includes their banks. Right. If people were storing their wealth in the banks and then the bank is blown up, what happens to your wealth? Well, newsflash, it gets blown up, too, and you lose your wealth. So this guy, he was a refugee and he was uh, in the Netherlands uh, and he was he learned about Bitcoin. He got himself some Bitcoin. That, you, you, just, you, he was a Syrian and yeah. he was taking refuge in the Netherlands. That's right. OK. Yeah. And he basically had to rebuild all of his savings. He had a little bit of money, but uh, he would earn money by teaching people Bitcoin teaching people about Bitcoin, they would pay him, 
He would convert that money into Bitcoin. Bitcoin would go up. He'd have more money. And he basically, the story he tells is like, I used to be a refugee. That used to be my label and my status. But now I'm a Bitcoiner. And it's a cool, liberating story because this guy, I mean, his neighborhood was destroyed. His community was destroyed. His family was dispersed. And he was able to accumulate all of those things again through uh, through the Bitcoin narrative, essentially through this unbiased, un apolitical money that... Uh, that he took an interest in and upon teaching other people, they also took an interest in, they resonated with his story because ultimately it's stories that compel people to change their actions or behaviors. And that's what we like. That's what we like to tell here. That's stories. true. And again, I want to point out, this is again, an extreme example because an average person who has a job and is earning money in their in their government currency is not going to know what it's like to not have access to your own wealth because of a political issue or um, any other sort of governmental issue or the or like something related to war you're not going to know what it's like so it's hard for you it's hard for us it's hard for people to understand what the power of bitcoin really is what it means to the kind of to people around the world that just don't have access to um to basic financial needs and i just wish that there was a more objective picture painted in in news where they always talk about how awful bitcoin is and how stupid it is and how it has no value and how it's beanie babies it, it, is what bill Maher said i don't know what beanie babies is. oh beanie babies is this like collectible item that totally went up in value when uh, when people started speculating on the price of them basically just out of rarity um, and so, I mean, the comparison is there. It's just not really all that useful because you can't transfer uh, Beanie Babies around the world at the speed of light for a fraction of the cost. That's only the Lightning Network. That's not the Bitcoin Network, though. <laughs> Come on now. All right. So, um, everyone, thank you for listening in. We hope that we added some value to... And context. And context to... Um, perhaps some of the questions that you had for yourself or for us on Bitcoin, on the whole Ponzi scheme scenario, as well as what is happening to the Bitcoin market right now, which I'm really it's happy about, by the week. way. <laughs> no, but I'm actually super, super pumped that um, Bitcoin is where, where it is at right now. I'd much rather not have people that are in it because Elon Musk says to be in Bitcoin. Right, yeah. Or not just, just Elon Musk, like just because some other influential person says that Bitcoin is great, buy Bitcoin. I like th that's not that. the correct reason to, to buy Bitcoin or right. anything really for that Don't matter. Don't trust verify. Yeah. Yeah. So there we go. Again, thank you again for reaching out to us and telling us to clarify the whole Ponzi scheme thing. Please, we love hearing from you. So message us anytime. Critiques uh, are welcome. Email us anytime. And with that, have a great week, everyone. And stay tuned. Bye.